Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Children, why don't you come on down here and have a word of prayer today. Oops, going the wrong way. Come on down here. <laughs> come on, lead them on down. Come on, Ariana, they'll all follow you on down here. There we go. Come on down, know you guys. Come on, look a little more excited than that. Come on. There we go. There's a smile. Good, good, good. Come on, come on, come on. All right, we'd like to have you guys here and let everybody see who you are. Come on down, girls. We're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to dismiss you to Children's Church and Children's Choir. Are you hiding back there, Sam? You know what? Every Sunday morning we have some beautiful flowers up here, don't we? Somebody in our church, Miss Tia, brings us flowers and takes care of that. And over there, we have two special bouquets of flower. And you know where those came from? Friday night, there was a wedding. Jeff and Elizabeth got married. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, and you know what, you know what happened to Elizabeth when they got married? What? what? She had to change her name. Now she's Elizabeth Patton. She gets a new Last name. You know what? When you young ladies, someday you're going to grow up and get married. You might marry one of these guys here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You should see no. (laughs) I wish you could see their faces. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Right. Yeah. The guys don't look too excited either. Well, we'll worry about that later. Okay. But you know what? Well, I got my my wife. We we both came to this church and we got married. Right. And she changed her name from Hanson to Shamaria. And so when you get married, your name will change. You'll have a new last name. Okay? How's that? You know what? This morning in our lesson, we're going to talk about a man whose name was changed. Can you think of any men in the Bible or or ladies whose names were changed? Can you think of any? Yeah. Good, Sam. What was his first name? Abram. And God changed it to Abraham. Good, Sarai. And what was her name changed to? Sarah. Sarah. Okay. Tell me. Saul. And what was his name changed to? Paul. Isn't that something? We have several people in the Bible whose names were changed by God to give. Sometimes they were names that were very similar. Sometimes with the uh, disciples and other Old Testament people, will find they had two names. And we're going to talk about that. So you can ask your parents, whoever brought you the day you came to church with. Simon Peter. That's right. He's sometimes called Simon and sometimes he's called Peter. Good, Ariana. Yeah, T. Jacob Israel. Jacob Israel. Wow, we keep on going here. You guys, all right. All right. Good job. So listen, you ask your, you ask your family today about Saul's being, his name being changed to Paul, but we've been singing today about God's grace and it's a story of God's grace. And I hope all of you have had an opportunity to share. Would, would any of you sometime like to share your story of how you came to know Christ the Savior? Wouldn't that be, that would be, that would be really exciting for us, okay? So maybe sometime in the future here we'll have some, maybe a couple of you come up. My son's church is doing that in Michigan today, and that would be a good idea. You come up and share your story of how you came to know Christ as Savior. It's good to have all of you with us today, right? Amen? Amen. All right. <laughs> you dismissed, okay? Oh, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. We gotta pray. We gotta pray. All right. All right, Sadie, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for these lovely children, Lord, these young people. They're growing up so fast, but that's exciting because we're seeing them 
as witnesses for you, sharing with each other, sharing their faith. We pray your blessing on them as they continue to learn together. And may they just grow up to be strong men and women of Jesus Christ who serve you. In Christ's name we pray as we look into your word now and ask your guidance. Amen. Thank you guys for coming on down. Appreciate that. There were some pretty uh, grimacing faces there. <laughs> oh, yuck. I want to tell you, I want to tell you one of my kids one time said when they were in high school, they said, why don't, why don't you guys date? Why don't you date Jeremy Her? You know, and you guys, oh, that'd be like incest. You know, <laughs> we grew up together in church. You know, <laughs> we've known each other since we were in the nursery. You know, I don't know. Anyway, okay. We've been studying together Encounters with God. I really should change the title of this series, Encounters with the Lord. Because, right, we talked about the Lord Jesus Christ and on uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, we are going to talk, and we, we're going to talk today about, of course, Saul and his transformation and his encounter with the Lord. To begin this, uh, today's lesson on encounter, and by the way, if our lessons are on our church website, and also uh, we are putting up our Sunday night series on Revelation as well. And if you'd like to uh, check out those as well, uh, thank you, Rachel, uh, for putting those up for us. And we're recording those. Last Sunday had a little glitch. I didn't get last Sunday's recorded right, so I'm going to redo that one for Chapter 6. But they are on our website as well. So you can check out the other series on uh, Encounters with God as we do so. But, you know, we've been. As we, I'd like you to start today in Acts Chapter 5, the book of Acts Chapter 5. That was written, we believe, by Luke, because both Luke and Acts start out exactly the same, written to Theophilus, and uh, obviously it's the same author that uh, wrote both of those. And in uh, in Acts, because last week we and we've talked about some of the opposition our Lord Jesus Christ had, and as we see in the Bible, oftentimes we'll just say, you know, to the from the Jews, and of course I suggest you and remind you all the time because we know this has been misused throughout history that uh, the, the, the Jews um, that the Jews also were the disciples in Christ and all the followers of Christ and all the apostles and all the martyrs in the early generation and that there are the leadership of Israel those who sat in Moses seat who were the ones that were oftentimes opposing the Lord but there, just to make sure you have a balanced view of the leadership of Israel during the first century, in um, Acts chapter 5, when they are, uh, when Stephen and the apostles are being persecuted, and you'll notice in the jump in the middle of, a, of the lesson here in verse 33, toward the, this is toward the apostles, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. That is their testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. But... A Pharisee named Gamaliel, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people. Now, I just want to stop. Uh, Gamaliel, this is not just a New Testament story. Gamaliel, even today, if you were to take on one hand and put all the the uh, rabbis, the sages, the, the rabim, who are considered the, the, the top, not only scholars, but influencers and godly rabbis, uh, throughout history, on, on one hand, Gamaliel would be on that list. He and Hillel, they were the two rabbis 
the two sages, the two teachers from this New Testament era, uh, just before the Testament and during the time of Testament, these two today are still held in Gamaliel the Elder. And I, I've told you before, I know that, you know, there's a saying in Israel that when he died, the light went out on Torah teaching because he was so well known even today. So this is not a name, this is a name that would, any Jewish rabbi would recognize. And it says here in the New Testament that this Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered these men out, the apostles. And he said to them, verse 35, then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. And then he gives two stories of recent Messianic figures who had a following, but it died out because they weren't Messiahs. And in light of that, you notice at the end of verse 37, he too was killed, all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. And look at his advice. Let them go. Let them go. Turn them loose. Let them go. Let them preach. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will find yourselves only, you only find yourselves fighting against God. So Gamaliel's advice is very godly. And it's very sincere. This is, this is who he was. He was a, this is the kind of rabbi he was. He was in that school of Hillel. He, he would not have, he would not have been the one to throw the stone at Stephen. And, and so he says, be careful. If it's of God, you can't stop this. So I just want to make sure as we look at these characters and, and we consider this, that you even in the New Testament, you see this both sides. You see Nicodemus and Josephus, Josephus, who were members of the Sanhedrin who were the only ones who stepped up to ask to take Jesus' body off the cross. When all of his disciples were scattered, they were members of the Sanhedrin as well. And we saw already last week that many priests have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there, of course, there are those who are persecuting the church. And as we come today to the story of Saul of Tarsus, because he hailed from Tarsus, we, we have three accounts of his conversion. Chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. Chapter 9 is Luke's retelling of it, which he obviously got from Paul, Saul, Paul. Probably used both in in the lesson today, Saul and Paul. The name Saul, of course, is a very famous name from the Old Testament. It's King Saul, the tribe of Benjamin, the first king of Israel. And uh, his, his retelling to Luke is Acts 9. But then we have Luke's account of Saul's own words, telling it in front of audiences in chapters 22 and chapters 26. So if you would take time on your own, if you would read all three and compare them, you will see a little bit different sometimes in each one that you put the whole thing together and you get the whole story of Paul's conversion when he was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was, was, was zealous that was zealous. And as we saw, he was the one who was in charge last week. We saw the stoning of Stephen. And I didn't go into details, but uh, stoning was a very brutal way to die. It was horrible. And there was, there was a way in the, in the, in the Jewish law, in the Mishnah, there was a directed way of stoning. It had to do more with pushing a person off sometimes a, 
a precipice or even a high area, and then dropping one large stone to kill them. And if that didn't work, then you had to finish them off. This mob stoning where a mob came and just threw large rocks and pelted them, uh, that was not according to Jewish law at the time. That was illegal. And um, it's interesting that that as, as as you read about, you know, I'm gonna just, let me just share with you. Now, a disclaimer. This is a novel. This is not the Bible, okay? See, this is not the Bible, all right? And so I'm not telling you that that this is Scripture. This is a novel by Shalom Ash, which I've mentioned several times, and some of you have read. He was a Jewish novelist from last century. He wrote several books, and he, and he kind of landed on writing a series, The Apostle, The Nazarene, and one on Mary, for which he was much criticized. For, for taking a rather positive view of these Christian stories um, from the Bible, but he bases it on the book of Acts. So this is a novel, right, everybody? Okay? All right. Got that? All right. But it is interesting <laughs> to kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. And here's, here's, here's what Shalom asked to this encounter between Gamaliel and Paul, Saul of Tarsus. It has been reported to me that my pupil took part in the slaying of the just man, Reb Estefan, Rabbi Stephen, the preacher of the Greek-speaking synagogues, without the sentence of the court. My rabbi and my Lord, the sentence was ratified by witnesses according to the words of the Torah. Two witnesses shall establish the thing. And Gamaliel goes into the response, without the sentence of the court. The slaying of the witnesses is not a good deed, but murder. And all those who had a part in it are murderers. The blood left Saul's face. He tried to frame an excuse, but the words of his rabbi continued to fall on him like hammer blows. I just want you to get that, that understanding that this, this was not, this is Jesus' crucifixion. This was not according to Jewish law. And those like Gamaliel and others who, who stood for the law in the right way, would not have supported this. Saul of Tarsus was zealous. He was zealous. Before we go to Acts 22, I want you to look at a couple of passages where he tells us himself. Look at Philippians chapter 3 in your Bibles. In Philippians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3, in verse 6, Paul says this. Uh, well, let's look at verse 4. I'm sorry. Philippians 3, 4. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, talking about it, if, if we, we read this morning from Ephesians that Anne read to us, if we could find salvation through the works of the law or through being good. Paul says this, If I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, just like his namesake, Saul a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. And Saul may have been on the Sanhedrin, because he does say that I was giving consent unto his death. He may have been a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, this is Saul of Tarsus. In Galatians, go go back a little bit toward the earlier part of your Bible. If you come to the epistle of Galatians, one of Paul's early epistles in chapter 1. And in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 1, 
For you have heard of my previous way of life, Galatian believers, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. He was a rising star in in rabbinic uh, circles. I was zealous for the tradition of my fathers, extremely zealous. But when God, who set me apart from his birth and called me by his grace, was revealed, was pleased to reveal his son in me. This was Saul of Tarsus. He was a rising rabbinic star. He was a, a student of Gamaliel, the, the elder, Gamaliel. He was a student of his. But he was on a mission. And we go to Acts chapter 22 today. We could go to chapter 9, chapter 22, or chapter 26. We'll touch from them. But let's look at chapter 22. I've chosen that passage where Paul is giving his defense when he comes back to Jerusalem and recounts uh, before the council his story. So let's just read his story, his conversion. Verse 1, chapter 22. Brothers and fathers, Listen to my defense. And when they heard them, when they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. He is a Hellenistic Jew. His Greek would be his mother tongue. But he knew Hebrew, of course, from synagogue. But he also was fluent in Aramaic, which is a, which is a, a variant of Hebrew. It was the spoken language. There is a, it's actually still spoken today in a few places in the Middle East. Syria of all, actually, which is about to lose it if this, if this, if this group is, is dispersed where they still speak this Hebrew tongue, Aramaic. It's a sister language. And he begins to speak in Aramaic, and the hush falls over the crowd because he's talking in there. This, this rabbi, he's, he's a Hellenistic rabbi. He's a Greek-speaking rabbi. But he was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. He was fluent in Aramaic. And he said to them, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but I was brought up in this city Under Gamaliel, I sat at his feet. I was his student. He may have been his prime student. He may have been the successor, possibly, if he was advancing that far, as he said. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers, and I was just as zealous for God as you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing men and women, throwing them into prison, as also the high, count, the high priest and all the council here can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus, and I went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. He's telling them he, he had legal papers. He would have had these from the Roman authorities. He would have had these Roman papers that the high priest would have been able to grant him through Roman authority to travel 140 miles. When was the last time you walked 140 miles? I don't mean in a year, you know. I mean, he was on a mission. He went 140 miles just to arrest Christians and break up the Christian church because he was so intense and zealous for God to stop this heresy and this cult and to bring these people back to Jerusalem to be arrested. And people were put to death and imprisoned. Families were broken up. I often wonder sometimes when when Paul, of course, became the evangelist. And I wonder sometimes when he was preaching, if there was somebody in the audience thinking, yeah, that's why my father's not alive anymore, because of you. 
That's why my mother went to jail, because of you. He was so intent and so zealous. And here's his story. About verse 6. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. Now, has anybody here ever been to, let's say, Jordan at noon? Yeah, come on, I know, because you went with me, some of you. Cloudy, overcast, raining, right? No, sunglasses, bright sun, blinding. This is Jordan, Syria, right? This is bright, this is the brightest time of the day. And this light is so intense during the daytime that it, it just flashes around him. Listen, friends, this is a cataclysmic event, if you will. This light just flashes around him in the middle of the day, and it's so bright, it's blinding. And literally, we find, of course, it blinds him. And look what it says here. This light flashed around him, and I fell to the ground. Why did he fall to the ground? Did the light throw him to the ground? Was it so overwhelming? Was there, was, was there a, this, this is a, this is a, 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 a righteous Jew. Paul says, I, I'm, I was a righteous law abiding Jew. These people believed in visions from God. Remember when John the Baptist's father went in the temple and, the, and he came out and he couldn't speak? What did they say? He's seen a vision. These, these, the Jews have a right to expect signs from God. We're told that in the Bible. And they believed in that. And, and, and is it possible that he realized he, this was something this was something that was heavenly. He went down to his knees, like in the Old Testament. We've seen some of our encounters to God. What happened? What happened to Isaiah when, when he looked up and he saw the Lord high and stood up? He said, woe is me, I am dead. We see others who fall to the ground. We saw at the, at the, at the Mount of Transfiguration when the apostles, Peter, James, and John, when they fell to the ground. Did, did Paul fall to the ground when he, when he realized there was something about this that was so heavenly? It, 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 he went to the ground, did it throw it to the ground? He went to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, and we, and we, and we read in chapter 26, the voice is in Aramaic. Our pastor Peterson, who I grew up under, used to insist that God spoke Swedish. He was right about a lot of things, but it says in, in Acts that God spoke Aramaic. He spoke Hebrew <laughs> to Saul. Never mind. He spoke to him in Aramaic. And he said, Saul, Saul. Does that ring a bell? Abraham, Abraham, Mary, Mary. We see this duplication of names in the Bible. When, when, when God, in his, in, his, in his love and mercy, calls to people, Saul, Saul, twice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul was persecuting believers in him. But by persecuting believers in him, Jesus said, you are, you are persecuting me. Why do you do this? I don't know. Do you think he yelled at him? Do you think it was a quiet voice? We don't know. It was a voice, and we and, and and the others didn't get make out this voice, but it was specifically to Saul. In fact, one says they didn't hear it; others said they heard it, but they, the idea they didn't understand it. But Saul heard it. Saul, Saul, 
I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm just guessing. I don't think God is screaming at him. I don't think he's whispering. He's Saul. He's just talking to him. Saul, why do you do this? And look at his response. Who are you, Lord? Now, yes, that word could be sir. Who are you, sir? But listen, this is a flashing light from heaven. He's on his knees. His face is in the dirt, the dust, and the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? Who, who are you? Who is this voice? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. You know, when, when Saul began this journey, let me just read one more paragraph. Gamaliel, according to Shalomash. This is a novel. Okay? All right. This is not the Bible. But it's interesting. I'm afraid for thee, Saul of Tarshish. The path which thou hast chosen for thyself is narrow and perilous. The abyss lies on either side of it. Know that those who fall into it are never again lifted up. Thou hast sore need of the help of heaven. I will pray for thee that God may open the sources of love in thy heart. For on this narrow and perilous path of thy choosing, there is no light. There are no signs and guideposts. All the lights are darkened. All measure confused. Good and evil are indistinguishable. There is but one thread for thee to hold on to. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, which is Hillel, his teacher, taught. That thread alone can guide thee back. Hold fast to it. It may yet save thee. These were the last words Saul heard from his rabbi. This was the last glimpse he had of him before he set out on this long and dangerous road of his life as he goes to Damascus. And he falls in the ground. Who are you? I am Jesus, Yeshua of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. I wish he would have filled in some of the... De- what? 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 What did he think? What did he think? What went through his mind? The faces of those people he'd been persecuting that died. Stephen bleeding and broken and, and, and horribly distorted cries out, Father, don't hold this against them. The mothers and fathers, the children, the young people, children like this, if families were taken and turned in, did they go through his mind? Had he seen Jesus on earth, if he was a Pharisee, if he was part of the Sanhedrin, had he heard him in Jerusalem? Had he seen him? Did this voice sound familiar? What are all these things that must have crashed through his mind and he's laying there in the dirt? He says, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. And Saul says, what shall I do? Now listen, we, we know the story. I mean, you probably know the story. Maybe this is the first time for you. I, that would be great. I know the story. But if you were Saul, laying there in the dust on the road to Damascus, And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ, 
who you have been persecuting, his followers, speaks to you from heaven with the Shekinah glory of God, right? The Shekinah presence of God that is thrown into the ground. Wouldn't you expect at least one reasonable option is you are about to be struck by lightning and obliterated? I mean, come on, wouldn't that be a reasonable expectation? This is the God from the Old Testament who turned Lot's wife into a pillar of salt for looking back with her heart to go back to where she came from is what it really means in Hebrew. When she turned, it didn't, wasn't a, it wasn't just a look. It was she was going to go back. Boom! Korah's rebellion, Saul's horrible end at the hand of the Philistines. I mean, wouldn't this be a reasonable expectation that he's waiting for the end and he deserves the end? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he deserves the end. What do I do now? And God says to him in Aramaic, Saul, get up. Kumlak. Different words that might, might have been used. Kumlak. Remember the young, the young, the young girl, Talitha Kumai in Aramaic, Talitha Kumai, young maiden, Kumai, arise. Kumlak. Get up. Saul, get up. You're not dead. Get up. Stand on your feet. Go to Damascus. And in verse 10, you will be told all you have been assigned to do. We know from Acts chapter 9, God came to a man named Ananias and said, Ananias, I'm sending a man. He came in a vision. His, his name is his name is Saul of Tarsus. You know, if you, in, a, in vernacular, Ananias. Yeah, I, yeah, I know who that is. God, <laughs> yeah, he's coming here. And you sure you got the right guy? I have heard all he is doing. He is a one man wrecking ball of your church, your believers, this Jewish church in Jerusalem. He's a one man wrecking ball. I have told him. I have called him. And actually, Ananias is told specifically in chapter 9, you'll see this if you happen to have a red letter edition, which I don't necessarily advocate, but it's, I have one, and it's the easiest spot. It says in verse 15 of chapter 9, the Lord said, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen, chosen, chosen. Wait a minute. Why not choose Stephen? Right? He was a Jew. He was righteous. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. I think Gamal, I think Shlomash has got it right. Reb Stephen, Rabbi Stephen. He was a rising young man in the synagogue. Why not Stephen? Why not one of the apostles? Why not one of the followers of Jesus Christ? Why Saul Tarsus? Ananias. He is my chosen instrument, utensil. To carry my name before the Gentiles, the pagans, the Gentiles, and their kings, and before the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. And Saul goes in chapter 22 to Ananias. And Ananias says to him in verse 14, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will, to see his righteous one, 
to hear his words from his mouth, and you will be a witness to all people. And this encounter with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ, all things he must suffer. This is not a punishment. Suffering is not a punishment. In Acts chapter 5, after Gamaliel said, let them go, let them go, let them leave them alone. They punished, they said, okay, we'll do that. But they brought him in and punished him anyway. <laughs> they didn't listen to him and sent them out. And it said the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for Hashem, the name. Hashem, the name, the name of Christ. This was not a punishment. And he was sent. Now listen, before we close, one thing you have, you just have to catch in this. What, what, what is so significant? Why Saul of Tarsus? Why? Well, he's going to tell us why. But I want you to notice something very carefully. In chapter 22, Paul is telling this to the council, right? He's telling them. He recounts his story. And then in verse 17, he says, I go, I go back to Jerusalem. I, I was praying and fell into a trance, and God told me to leave Jerusalem. Verse 19, Lord, I replied, these men know I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe. He's still talking to the council. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes. I was in charge of this. I was the charge of this. Verse 21, now look at The Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles, to the pagans, to the heathen. Look at the next word. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. They've been listening to everything he's been saying. And the minute he said, I've been sent to the Gentiles, the minute he said this, what happens? What happens? They listen, they listen to him to, to, to say this. And the minute he says this, the crowd listened to him and they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth. He is not fit to live. Because he dared to say, I've been sent to the pagans to tell them, you are welcome to the God of Israel as you are. And they said, that's it. We've heard enough. Look at chapter 26. I don't mean to be yelling at you this morning. I'm kind of losing my voice here. Forgive me. Chapter 26. This time he's talking to the Roman, one of the Roman governors, Agrippa. And he gives him the same story. He tells his conversion. He tells his conversion story. And he gets to the end of it. And he, and he says, I, I've underlined right in the middle of verse 22, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Now, the Old Testament talks a lot about the Messiah, you know, under the kingdom age, the Gentiles. The minute he says, and to the Gentiles, what does Festus say? At this point, at that point, as soon as he's used the word going to the Gentiles, Festus interrupts him and says, you are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. It's a good one for any graduate students here. All right, take a break. Your great learning might drive you insane. Your great learning is, you're mad. Go to the Gentiles because Agrippa, he knew. Paul says to him later, he says, you, you believe the prophets, verse 27, right? You believe the prophets, I know you do. He and his wife were well-versed in Judaism. And they knew how ridiculous this was to think you could go to the Gentile nations and just say, 
welcome to the God of Israel without going through the Mosaic law. This is the ministry, friends, that Saul of Tarsus, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was called to. And we'll talk more about that. We're going to study the book of Philippians when we're finished with this series. But, but we read, I read to you earlier from, I read to you earlier from Galatians. Let me just finish that. Chapter one. I read to you about where, where Paul talks about his, his background. And then he says this in verse 16. He called me to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You talk to any Jewish scholar and ask them, what, what happened? How did Christianity become what it was? And they will, you know what they'll tell you? It was because of Paul. He took it to the world and it turned into a new religion, a new faith. Well, we know that's not exactly how it happened. This was his commission to take it to the Gentile world. And in closing today, let me, let me just, why Paul? Why this encounter? Why not Stephen? Why not Peter? Why not Luke? Why not James, the first, the first martyr who was brutally martyred? Why not James, the brother of Jesus, who became the, the apostle, the head of the Jerusalem church? Why Paul? He tells us. It's very simple. It's very simple. First Timothy chapter 1. I want you to take this home with you in closing today. It's very simple. Very simple. Where he talks about how, again, how he was a persecutor of the church. Verses 12 and 13. In verse 14, the grace, unmerited favor, grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. Listen to this. Pay attention to this, he says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Friends, this is the whole gospel. We can't just preach half of it. The Bible says we are sinners. And I don't need to tell you that. And you don't need to tell me that, right? Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the protos. The first in line. The chief. The worst. Why? He just told them why. I was the persecutor. I was the one man wrecking ball and persecuted Jesus Christ. I persecuted the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's why God called me. Why? For this very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the protos, the first in line of sinners. Come on, listen to this. Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. It's pretty simple. That's how God does things. I mean, what did Paul say to the Corinthians? Look around. Corinthians, where are the mighty? Look around here. Where are the mighty? Where are the most famous? Yeah, there are some. Not here, but there are some in the Christian church. God calls common, weak, 
sinful, normal human beings like Jim Shamaria and you. And Paul says, I became an example for all who would follow, not just the persecutors, but you and me. Why? It's simple. No one can ever say, I am beyond hope of God's grace and mercy. Paul says, don't ever say that. Don't let anyone ever say that. That's why I am who I am. I was the protoss. I was the first. And I'm saved. I'm a trophy of God's grace. And friends, you are a trophy. We use that term, of God's grace. And if you're here today, and it would be my concern on, on any time we get together, on any Sunday, if you're here today, and you've heard the gospel, And maybe you think, that's not for me. I, you know, maybe I'm, it's not where I'm at. It's not for me. Friends, it is for you. I plead with you. I plead with you as, as Paul did in, in Acts chapter 26 as he came to the end of that story when, when, when King Agrippa said, Paul, you're gone crazy. And Paul says, no, I'm not. I'm not insane. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king, you're familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced no, you, this, this hasn't escaped your notice. It was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, he says, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, God is patient. Short time or long, I pray. I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today become what I am, except for these chains. And you know what the king did? Earlier, the Lord said to Paul, Get up. Cum lock. And you know what King Ripa did? He cum locked. He got up. And his wife. And they left the room. They left the room. And all they said was, this man could have been free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Stand up. And I ask you today, friends, you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He paid for your sins. He went to the grave. He rose from the dead so that Saul of Tarsus and Jim Shemariah and that you, even though we don't deserve it, could receive eternal life and forgiveness for sins. Stand up. In your heart, just say yes to God. Just say yes to God. What do you want me to do? Paul, get up on your feet. And somewhere in this story, Saul is converted. And he changes. Because he accepted in faith that Christ is who he said he was. And listen, for the rest of you that most of you here I know are believers in Jesus Christ. I know you and I know your stories. You know, there are times in life, sometimes we're beaten down. Sometimes we choose to get down. Sometimes it's for a long time. Sometimes we're just down. And God says, Kumlach, stand up. Get up. It's time. Get up. 
And if that's you today, friend, get up. Just get up. It's not complicated. We serve a God of new beginnings. A God of great patience and mercy and grace and love. Get up. And friends, if you're here today and you're standing up and you know there's a brother or sister that God has put in your heart and in your mind and across your path who is struggling and, and they're wanting to get up, help them. Help them. Come alongside. Sometimes you need to help lift somebody up. Cum luck. Get up. Get up. Stand up. Stand up. Why not? Let's close our service and our song. I'll get a little bit. I'll give you 10 minutes, 8 minutes. Um, sorry about that. I'll pay you back someday. <laughs> All right, here's your chance to stand up with us. We're going <laughs> to sing our last song together. It's amazing. Of all the songs we sing in church, that is probably the best-known hymn that people sing all the time in all sorts of circumstances. People who don't even claim to be Christians sing that song. But you know, sometimes they kind of cringe, and sometimes we're apologetic for that phrase that saved a wretch like me. John Newton was a slave trader. He traded in humans and sold them like cattle and was bringing them across the Atlantic Ocean to the New World when in a storm he realized his need for salvation. He went back to England and became one of the finest preachers and hymn writers in the Christian faith. And he wrote that song, Amazing Grace. Saul of Tarsus could have wrote that song if any one of us ever had a vision of the pure Shekinah brilliance and purity of God, I think we would really understand that is true. Save the wretch like us. We are trophies of God's amazing what? grace. God bless you. Go with him. Serve him and walk in his grace this week.